0: Well, this is a great occasion, and I'm really glad there are so many people here to welcome Dr. Solana, who, as many of you may know, has just become a visiting professor at LSE. So this is his welcoming event. Um, And what we're going to do is we're really going to do it as a conversation. I'm going to ask him some questions, and we're going to have a conversation between him and me for about half an hour, and then we'll open the floor to questions from everybody else. So everyone will get a chance to ask something. And um, I don't think uh, Dr. Solana needs any introduction. As all of you may know, he was Foreign Minister of Spain, he was Secretary General of NATO, and he was uh, the High Representative for Common Foreign and Security Policy of the European Union in which role I think myself he played an incredibly important part in developing Europe's security policy Um, and so actually my first question is just a very simple question how from this vantage point is the world changing (laughs) (laughs)
1: let let, let me take a a breath and and say that I'm very happy to be here. It's not the first time that I've been in here at the university, and it's the first time I'm in this place, I think. And uh, I hope to have the opportunity to to continue coming. Uh, Mary, thank you very much for inviting me and for putting uh, simple questions to respond. <laughs> now let me let me. Let me define uh, some of the parameters in which I believe. After my long service to the European Union and and to to European countries, in particular mine, I believe uh, wholeheartedly in Europe. I think that this is one of the most uh, beautiful buildings constructed in the the past century. And... uh, I think that uh, even with the fundamental changes which are taking place in the world of today, some of them that started way before the international economic crisis, some of them have been accelerated by the crisis, some others had been retarded by the crisis, but in any case we are living in a moment of transformation, of deep transformation and sometimes maybe we are not aware of the level of transformation in which we are living i think that the european union has a fundamental role to play and uh, i understand that for many uh, the results of the lisbon treaty and the manner in which it is being applied etc may have uh, brought the impression that uh, the europe is not up to the moment i'd like to say that this is not the case that uh, the European Union will continue to be an important player in the world of today as it's moving. Okay. I want to, to, to underline that Europe has gone always through difficult times uh, in the moments in which they have to move on. But it's an institution that never has gone back. And that is very, very important. Never has gone back. Although it has continued to be forward, maybe at the speed that uh, some would have liked maybe at a speed uh, lower, or slower than uh, some of us would like to be seen. Now the fundamental changes in the world of today, you know it very well, is a fundamental change of transfer of power. Transfer between states and transfer of power also within the states. Transfer of power among states is obvious. We are seeing a fundamental change uh, between the East and the West. I don't want to give you figures; you know them very well. Being on population, being on demography, of being on the uh, distribution of GDP uh, globally, and internally, I think uh, it is uh, being transformations. I think the governments are less important <coughs> today than yesterday. It will be less. The new actors are appearing in certain countries and states. Actors which are uh, some of them good actors, non-state actors, good, fantastic NGOs, active, etc. But others in many states which are very negative. We have to think about terrorism. We have to think about the new tendencies we see. In in countries like uh, return of piracy, for instance, in Somalia, places like that. So it's a fantastic transfer of power. How are we going to handle that? Now, this transfer of power uh, takes place uh, because probably of globalization. That means uh, the many of most of the problems that we have are global, and therefore the solution should be global. But at the same time, we know very well that uh, Legitimacy remains national, and legitimacy means politics, and resources basically remain national. And this is the complication that we're living. We have global problems, we need global solutions, and we don't have still the capacity to match the two things problems with the solution or the solution with the problems because uh, still a lot of things remain national difficulties (laughs) to be checked so I think that uh, one of the big efforts that we have to do theoretically, you, politically those who have responsibilities is to see how we match that and how we move into a line in which uh, global problems uh, can be resolved uh, with global solutions and therefore changing in a way, and I'm going to play very carefully with the words, the concept of sovereignty to a certain step. I like to say that uh, responsible sovereignty is something that we have to emphasize uh, as much as we can, and maybe even to coin that expression. Because uh, it's obvious that uh, being because citizens of states are not uh, respected, respected by his governors and from their comes the right to, to protect but also you look at the climate change for instance mm, it's not something that you can resolve uh, with the nature of the state only A state contaminates the sky but not contaminates its sky is part of the sky, but contaminates the whole of the sky. Therefore, the rest of the world has some responsibility about what happens within one state. So something about sovereignty has to be also tackled and has to be discussed seriously among intellectuals, academia, but also to do it uh, political, uh, to put it in place politically. Now, um, in that uh, context, uh, the European Union it's a good laboratory. It's a good embryo of how things can be done, because it is true that uh, sovereignty has been shared, that we have experience of acting together, that uh, it may be that we uh, will say a good model to find a solution of all the problems of the world globally but there's no doubt it will be a very important, if we do it properly, a good experiment, a good laboratory in which, or from which a lot of lessons can be drawn. And that is what I expect. And I expect that that will be the case, and for that uh, I will continue working from different positions uh, now from the civil
0: society. Well, maybe I should follow on with that question. To be sure the EU is an experiment in shared sovereignty, but I think To many people, there's a feeling that politics has gone away. There's no legitimacy. Uh, There's a sense that the EU has just become a sort of rather bureaucratic, abstract, regulatory, neoliberal institution that doesn't have much to do with ordinary people's concerns. So how do we answer that?
1: Well I think we have to answer that uh, in two months first with a little bit of memory. I think I like to to describe the history of the European union in three moments. Uh, one moment is the moment of uh, we may call reconciliation, which is the beginning it is the moment of the great vision uh, the moment of uh, uh, very important uh, uh, political figures, visionary figures, etc. It's a second moment that uh, I think we call it wrongly. We call it enlargement. And it's not the, 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 the terminology that I would have used. I think it's the second moment, the, second, the moment of consolidation of the continent. And uh, because we wanted to consolidate the continent, we have to let in or open the doors to others. But uh, enlargement has a connotation that I don't like it very much. But still, both of them were two decisions of leaders with political will and with vision. Now, today, we are today. Today, we have to be together in the European Union out of necessity. It would be a fantasy to think that any member of the European Union could do anything meaningful in the world alone. And I believe on that. And I believe very forcefully on that. Therefore the moment of today is not a moment of uh, political, of uh, uh, sentimentalism, it's a moment of realities and of need, of necessity. And that is the appeal I think we have to do today. now. Second thing I have to say is that uh, it seems to me, and I don't think I will be wrong on this, that we will have to work at what we may call constant treaty. All the moments uh, in the past have been accompanied by a treaty that transformed the institutional scheme of the European mm-hmm. Union and has come with that, has come a moment of integration. A step in the direction of integration. Now, I think we are going to live for a long time without changes in the treaty. I think we are going to live at a constant treaty for a long time, with the experience that we have obtained already, and all the difficulties in order to ratify the Lisbon Treaty. Therefore, we don't have to expect much transformations of the institutions. And therefore, we have to concentrate also on the internal life of the European Union through civil society. The the manner in which we can integrate better will be cooperation, let's say, among universities, research centers, companies, civil society in general. And that should be the challenge that we, or that is to my mind, the challenge that we had before. We don't have to expect big transformations in the structures of uh, Uh, the engineering of the structure of the European Union, but really the work of the citizens of the European Union, trying to construct uh, a European Union of citizens. Uh, That I know is very difficult, but it's not impossible, and uh, I think Murray has worked a lot on that direction, and I think we have to keep on working on that direction. But knowing, and I think we have to know that the Treaty is not going to be the element which we can play, therefore, the things that have to be done have to be done at what may call constant treaty, which will be more difficult. It will require much more the process of democratization and the participation of the civil society not leaving it to the to the leaders of the different countries or
0: the institutions
1: all the institutions.
0: As a matter of fact, I think civil society was very important in the two great moments that you talk about. I think after the war, nobody wanted another war. Uh, During the 80s, people like me and others who are here actually tried to end the Cold War, and that created a new mood of Europeanism. And I suppose my worry is, what is there now that would mobilise civil society? (laughs) What's the issue? What's the, stunt, the leader who's going to um, offer some idea that around which people can feel they need <coughs> to integrate? My main feeling is that the young people who do come together in, for example, the social forums, <coughs> they're rather anti-Europe because they see it as neoliberal.
1: I, I don't see the leader.
0: No, maybe you the leader was know. unnecessary. You know, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to
1: say anything about the leaders. I don't want to, to look for a leader. Yeah. I think uh, uh, we can play uh, uh, by saying that the uh, uh, financial crisis, yeah. it could be a, a very important driver. We have to overcome and, and get out of this uh, crisis in a manner... That uh, should be way much better with the transfer of power that I described before. All these things have to be the drivers for the younger generations to give them a significance to their lives, to give a significance to the, 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 the cooperation to move uh, Europe, uh, Europe forward, equivalent to what uh, other generations has signified other things. Uh, I do think that the crisis is, as always, an opportunity. It's an opportunity, and that opportunity has to be used and used properly. Now, uh, for that, some reforms would have to be made, but I think the reforms they will not require the treaty changes. For instance, the debate of today, we have the newspaper today, yesterday, the day before yesterday, etc. Very important about. Uh, how you have to accompany the monetary policy with something else, which is the economic policy. I think it is possible. Some of us have analyzed that with some detail. And I think that is possible to do it within the framework of what we have today, if there is political will. And I think the political will will have to come because the needs are here and we cannot fail.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn now to the EU's foreign policy. So, you famously said that the European Union is a civilian, or should be, a civilian power with military means. Maybe you could elaborate a bit on that.
1: Well, I I think that the European Union is is a a political power. I believe that, uh, others may not, but I do believe and uh, I have seen uh, with my own experience how things have changed in very difficult moments uh, thanks to the participation and the presence of the European Union. There's no doubt about that. And I see faces here that recognize what I'm saying, because they were present uh, when uh, if the European Union would not have been there probably some of them, they would not be here sitting today. And I see many faces. So I think it's a power and I think it's uh, power able to solve problems and solve it in a very um, constructive manner and in a manner which is different than others. And uh, let me make a parenthesis here. I think the European Union defines itself at its values, but defend defines itself also by the way f- the European Union does, thi- does things. For it's the manner in which we act, I think, defines who we are. So it's very important uh, to maintain that because I think the manner in which we act is fundamental. Now, having said that, I think that uh, we have military means. I remember very well, uh, I arrived uh, to this position in the month of October 1999. At that time, to see in the institutions of the European Union, the buildings of the European Union, some uniform, it was like... uh, Mm. But we had to, to, to adapt uh, the European Union institutions, the believing of the people the buildings, etc. to put inside uh, military people, to put inside intelligent people, to put inside uh, the, the the elements which have along with having uh, the capacity mm. to act uh, collectively also on military matters. But it's, uh, having to say very clearly saying very clearly that uh, we have been acting uh, militarily, always uh, on crisis management, uh, peacemaking sometimes uh, really, in a fundamental manner, but um, we don 't have the will to have a, to be a military power in the sense of going to war. the European Union never go to war, and in that sense I, I, I said that. Uh, that uh, statement that it's a a global power with uh, military military means.
0: And maybe that is the way to be a global power in the 21st century. I mean, is this a different model that we need in this period of time?
1: Well, I think that uh, that we did many things uh, we could have done more if the treaty would have been in place year 2004, 2005, no doubt. We would have been better prepared for the economic crisis, no doubt, but also we would have acted in a much better manner in those uh, years, 2005, six, seven, etc. I think that um, the use of force is, 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 is changing dramatically, and I think in a better direction, and um, I think that for that also the European Union is a better place. Uh, Allow me to say, this is not, uh, it's uh, it's true. We had uh, the first uh, strategic uh, planning and uh, and even tactical planning. Integrated military and civilian people was in the European Union. Nobody had done before. So we have done things that could be done because we are new. Let's put that way. And others, they have to adapt with much more difficulty because of the inertia. So we started from scratch, and so we could do things more rapidly than others. And I think now uh, we are in the right and the right line. It is true that uh, we have to continue, and I hope very much that the treaty, the new treaty, which gives the possibility of continuing faster in a much more, I uh, say, easier manner, that they will do it. But that is a that is a reality, and I think we have to say it because uh, and say it uh, loudly because it's true. We have made uh, many mistakes, and we have not done many things we should have done. But we have done very good things in many many places, and uh, with uh, good, we uh, uh, were the benefits of many of many many people. Mm.
0: So today. Those of those people who don't know, we've been talking about the EU's relationship with Russia. And Obama talked about setting the reset button. Should the EU be setting the reset button? And if so, how?
1: And, um, with Russia.
0: With Russia. We could go on and talk about oh, other I areas, but no doubt I people my will my ask
1: the question. My answer is, is yes. <laughs> I mean, we have less to. to, to, to. Uh, to, to, to reset, uh, remember that uh, the term reset, reset uh, was uh, related to the fact that during 10 years, no agreement on, um, on nuclear uh, treaties had taken place, no one, and second, all the question of missile defense. Mm. Now, this is what really implies the term reset. Of course, this, we didn't have those problems. We didn't create those problems. But I think we have to make an effort. Uh, we have on the, on the, on the, on the table uh, from Russia, uh, or from President Medvedev, uh, some ideas. I think it's our obligation to enter into that debate with Russia. That's the debate on security. But uh, we have also to bring up today the other agreements that we have with Russia, in particular the economic agreements. And uh, as a consequence of that, also, also to revisit all the questions pertaining to energy, which is one of the big problems that we have not been able to resolve with uh, with uh, Russia. And I think that is uh, not impossible It requires a lot of effort. And we have uh, two or three vectors of action, one with the European Union, other global with Russia and I think we have to make a an move in and uh, try to make a proxy. not impossible, it's not easy, it's not easy, but it's not impossible.
0: What, what, what is the problem,
1: do you think? Well, I think there are several problems. First, um, Russia, to my mind, does not understand or doesn't want to understand the European Union. Us they they have uh, been living happily uh, during some period of time, dealing with countries at different levels, choosing the country they wanted to use, etc. First, the second thing is a big difficulty is the what has been the word that didn't want to use we did the word enlargement enlargement of NATO and to a certain extent also the enlargement of the European Union. Uh, One example uh, speaks by itself. Uh, Remember the OECE. The OECE was the organization of first choice of first choice of Russia. Today is the organization of last choice of Russia. And that has to do (laughs) only with one thing, with the level of enlargement. Uh, of the European Union that has changed the relations of forces within the organization. And um, I mean if uh, a Russian, I said it this morning I can repeat it today, uh, some Russians may think that uh, from the relationship with the, within the continent, that continent, at that time the European Union didn't exist. But in the, in the Helsinki uh, agreements With the three baskets, hard security, economy, and uh, human rights, uh, what you want to call it, are large. The change has been very dramatic. uh, On the hard security, NATO's practically the, the, the leader, no doubt about that. On the second basket, the European, con- uh, European mm. Union and large is a uh, very important uh, ingredient, probably the most important one. and none of the two, first or second, Russia, is part of it, and uh, is, is part of the third basket through the Council of Europe and through the OEC, but uh, in a relationship of, of forces, which is... Uh, what they claim to be uh, not uh, beneficial for them now how we can change that, those are the fundamental problems that we have now mm-hmm. deep down beyond uh, with, uh, with the meat of uh, Poland there was a problem of some time and uh, even more difficult than the problems of energy which are very very difficult but I think we are trying to, to make some progress. Uh, some progress there so this is the, the 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 thing we have to resolve. I think it's possible to resolve. I think we have to 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 get to get, uh, uh, get engaging and trying to resolve it. And uh, otherwise, uh, we will have that uh, that border at least uh, complicated. Now, I think well uh, I think I'm sure. you are sure also. That the unity within the European Union on these issues is not 100%. Uh, there are countries with experience which are <coughs> historically different, and the process of, if I may say, reconciliation has not taking place because it's too early. So, therefore, still within the European Union, exists, exists difference of opinion on these matters. Less difference today than yesterday, and I think less tomorrow than today, because we are really constructing and a common position, I think, uh, at a rapid, uh, at a rapid uh, uh, rhythm.
0: Well, I'm longing to follow up and ask about different areas, but I guess other people will. So I'm going to ask you one last question, and then before I throw it open, which is more of a personal question, which is, looking back over your time in NATO and the European Union, how do you compare those experiences?
1: Well, they are very different, both experiences, uh, because both uh, organisations are are very different. One is an organisation which, basically, is a security organisation. I was very lucky to be here. Uh, I was in NATO for years. It was lucky because it was a very exciting moment. It was the moment in which uh, the enlargement was produced, and it was the dream of of of. Uh, Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary were the three countries that enlarged. Uh, that I have very much uh, that process. <laughs> I think uh, for me it was very important uh, how this was done, and I want to emphasize that. Because before we enlarged, remember, uh, we, fa- we signed the founding act with Russia. So I had uh, a negotiation, very difficult negotiation, with Eugenie Primakov, that you remember his name. To define some of the relationship between NATO and Russia before the enlargement took place. I think that was a brilliant idea, and uh, we created uh, the the NATO Russia Council. I think that it has much more potential than the potential has been used. Second thing, third thing, it was the crisis of uh, the Balkans. That was at that time also at a, at a peak, and uh, as you remember, was the tragedy of Kosovo, which determined very much uh, the future part of the future of the Balkans, and also was uh, another difficult, very difficult point with uh, Russia, which is still we have uh, we have not resolved, as you know very well, but. Um, at the end of the day, even uh, with all these uh, political activities, the organization is an organization which is basically of uh, security and effects. The European Union is way much wider and uh, I live very, very happy ten years there, very happy moments of difficulty, without any doubt, but the possibility of uh, of shaping part uh, that if uh, sometimes, when I look back, I never would have believed that uh, that would have been done. We have done 20 uh, military missions in, in three continents, all the continents, with the exception of Latin America. We have saved many lives. I think we have played a significant role in the world. We have not been able to prevent other things to happen because we couldn't prevent it, and, um, uh, I think has been a very, very exciting moment, so if I had to choose, I tell you I was four years in NATO, ten years in the European Union, that's the definition of my
0: happiness. (laughs) Well, on that note, I will open the floor to questions. And I think what I'll do, I'm looking around, is to take questions in threes. So I will start with the gentleman here. I'll start over there, and we can have you next. Uh.
2: Yes, my name is Mr. Stefano Bonfa. I'm Italian. And I'm working on, uh, let's say, issue in uh, sustainable development enterprise governance. I would like to uh, let's say point out based on your discussion on uh, the global European as global actor first of all I I should say that I am pro-Europe I do not say I am against Europe I am pro-Europe but I could say in a new Europe I do not like the word traditional Europe I do not like the treaty that you bringing in the European Union, just I have a personal, let's say, problem with EU. I was invited as consultant to develop a monitoring system for all the, let's say, IC funds to developing countries. You cannot believe it. There, five to six billion euro. Wait, five, six billion to developing countries. They don't have a monitoring system. To know where the money comes from, where they go to, how do they spend the money? This happens also in Europe. So how you can talk about governance once you don't know internally the let's say knowledge of the Europe itself? You talk about political governance, but you need more knowledge-based and strategic governance that is supposed to be the Lisbon. And
0: your question.
1: My question is uh, my question
2: is simple. I do not the accept
1: answer, no, the, question, the, the answer is yes.
2: <laughs> so what, what should be done What should be done in this direction? This is my question.
0: Okay, the lady this lady here oh. next. Thank you. My name is Lara Lopez, and as he says he's Italian I'm Spanish. so thank you very much for uh, your talk. It was
3: very interesting. Um, what's the role of uh, Europe? Uh, in a world shaped by uh, EU, um, United States and China um, as Mr. Europe as everybody calls you in Europe the uh, Americans are looking more and more into Asia and Asia is looking more into Asia and also the US what's the role of Europe in all this? we are missing out, now you're not there to do all the negotiations, they are missing you what can we do? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. one more question oh. I'll take we'll here to
4: and then she: yes, yes. Hello, uh, Mark Sloboda, uh, LSE International Relations Department. Um, with the Netherlands withdrawing their military forces, announcing their withdrawal of military forces from Afghanistan, um, there is increasing talk in the United States, criticism coming from the Secretary of Defense himself, that Europe is becoming too pacifist. Uh, they're talking not only about a capabilities gap where there's only four EU countries spending 2% of their GDP on the military but a gap in uh, uh, The fighting spirit is what our generals say, that the European citizen completely lacks a warrior ethic today. Now, when we combine the commensurate lack of hard power here with the likely loss of soft power due to continuing economic and financial crises in Europe, where does that leave Europe as a global actor?
1: On the on the first on the first question, well, I, I I I don't see the, the G two going very far. I remember very well the last time we met uh, was November, I think. Uh, we met with the Chinese. Uh, and we had the last summit I participated with President Obama. It was in November, late November. It was very good. I don't have the sentiment. Uh, that none of the two want a G2, in particular the Chinese don't want a G2. I don't uh, see any lack of interest by the the Americans in Europe. I think that logically in Europe the situation is stable, we are not a problem, we have to be part of the solution with the Americans. So it's no, I don't see why we have this sentiment that uh, unless the Americans are looking to us all the day, every day, 24 hours, we are uh, irrelevant. Uh, I think it's this is wrong approach. The problems are not here. The problems are outside. Now, maybe with the second question, there may be another response, because they may say, well, come along. But uh, this sentiment that uh, of lack of... Uh, uh, interest uh, is, is not there continues to be the most important economic player, both of us continue to be the most important uh, uh, change of uh, trade etc important players together we are, uh, when the Americans have a real problem at the end of the day, there's no many others that can go along so I'd I, I like to change that uh, that sentiment I don't have it I have very—I mean—I I have lived the administration of Bush the father, eight years of Clinton, eight years of Bush the father, the son, and a year in, over a year with uh, Obama. And I—I I think I know—I know a lot of uh, the dealing with administration, always in a very constructive manner. Never had a very serious problem, and I don't have it now, and I don't see it today. Uh, even all the the reading that you do of, of this done of Copenhagen is not as dramatic as it has been presented as far as that element is concerned it was a chair missing, it was not a European chair missing it was the American chair missing in that meeting remember that now, so I don't see that I think that it is logical that the tendency of the, since the world is moving is transferring to the east, it's logical that uh, the eyes will move to the east. But uh, you talk about G2, what, look how difficult it is. How difficult is foreign policy? The first trip of the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, was not to Mexico, was not to Canada, was not to Europe. The other three places where historically a Secretary of State was to China. He went to China in a very important trip, did a lot of uh, uh, diplomacy, public diplomacy. He was in university, was in radios. It seemed that uh, all the charm was uh, put uh, at work and uh, the end of that trip was a success, etc. Well, as you have seen the year, then the President Obama went to a long time to, to Asia, long trip to Asia. And uh, in the meantime, as you know, things have not gone as, uh, as in principle could have gone. You make an analysis of 2009; that has not worked as in principle was thought to be worked. It's a problem. It's a problem which is related to the, to the balance, uh, the competition of the two currencies, uh, as you know very well. Now, difficulties are there imbalances are there and they will not be easy to be resolved. Now on the the second question uh, let me tell you that I disagree uh, with you. I disagree very much and I'm very happy that people have applauded to you. (laughs) I hope that when I finish they will applaud to me. (laughs) I I, I think it's um, the European Union has done in Afghanistan and other places where they have been called a very generous, very generous role and being in the UK it's impossible to not to say very, 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 very generous. Now, you cannot change uh, the, the mentality position that the new generations of Europeans as the new generations of Americans are having vis-a-vis war mm-hmm. uh, vis-a-vis war which are difficult to understand sometimes and um, we, cannot, we cannot be at the same time asking for more democracy and then uh, do not listen to the results of the democratic behavior of the parliaments, and, and this is going to be a tendency which is growing, is growing and I think that the world is going that such a direction that uh, the classical world will not be needed, it will be decreasing the, the, the need for that and um, I don't think that we have been bad uh, bad companions of the United States in international affairs. I was Secretary General of NATO when the, he was said uh, NATO out of failure or NATO out of place, out of disappearance. NATO is out of area. I, de- I deployed 60,000 soldiers out of area in the year 1995. 1995. And from there on, soldiers from the different countries of the European Union, and others which are not part of the European Union, have been deployed in many, many places. So I think you have a, a reading which is, uh, which is not correct. I do think that is an exaggeration, and um, that we have to do more, maybe we have to do more, but it will be very, very difficult, very, very difficult, because you see that uh, the um, parliaments in the in full-time countries in the European Union, for them, every time, it's more difficult to understand some of these uh, uh, battles in which you are engaged. Now, you ask me my, my position, I think that uh, our security, this myself is speaking, our security has to be defended beyond our borders. And therefore a lot of pedagogy has to be done to understand that. But I will not uh, get an impression that we have uh, gone to sleep uh, and let others uh, to resolve the problem which are ours. No, this will not be fair and I will not accept it.
0: I I can't resist just adding I think it's a great achievement of Europe that young people don't have a warrior spirit any longer (laughs) and (laughs) And having said that I do think and, and of course you see it in the case of the UK I do think actually young men and young women are ready to risk their lives for the sake of humanitarian purposes and we see that with human rights activists I think there's a huge problem in relation to Afghanistan because it's not clear what it's about (coughs) is it about defeating Al Qaeda and if so we're not doing a very good job of it so what are our troops doing or is it about making Afghans safe and helping Afghans and I think if There was a clearer message it would be much easier for people to make choices in Europe so anyway I'm adding to that I shouldn't be intervening I'm going to go to the next round it's a conversation (laughs) I'm going to the next round Uh, the lady in the red is one and then I'll take you I'm going to take all women this time (laughs) so we're going to take these three women here yeah, you can come in the next round.
3: <laughs> Monica Threlfall, a London Metropolitan University. Um, my question is about Europe as a domestic
0: or social actor, if I may ask this question, given that your title is about global actor. But what I mean is the range of policies that the European has,
3: uh, Union has deployed in the area of social policy, employment, non-discrimination, migration, education, health and so on. Do you think that the European Union could make itself more popular through as a domestic or social actor?
0: Okay and one of you two in the front and then I'll let you come next
3: because uh, thank you. My uh, questions are quite general. Will, will you say who you are? Uh, I work for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of um, China, and I'm now studying in London. And uh, my questions are quite general. Uh, do you think that the EU is one of its kind, or uh, what people say is quite generous? And what qualities uh, does the EU have to distinguish itself as a global player? <laughs> it's,
1: it's
0: um, and then the lady over here. What's she saying? Is the European Union sui generis?
3: Kim Pituci, Deutsche Welle, and former LSE student. Now, one of the places that has tested uh, Europe's ability to act as a global, as a united actor, has been Balkans, which you mentioned, and not least Kosovo crisis. But during that time, you were. In two crucial lo- roles, first with the EU and then uh, first with NATO and EU. Now, my question is twofold. Kosovo is now independent, and two years on, what's your view, your assessment of the situation there? How much has it contributed to the security in the region? And the fact that hasn't been recognised by all EU members, including Spain, how does that affect unity of Europe? And what should the EU do to bring to ensure that Balkans, which is widely recommended to be in the EU doesn't get there sooner rather than later
1: very very important question now uh, uh, I'll I'll, I'll try to answer yes on the social actor the social internal actor now I think we have still a long way to go in the single market many of the things that you have mentioned could be treated on the single market and for that nothing is needed no new rules, no new regulations etc but it is true that it's a limit Uh, uh, the uh, competence of the states, of the member states for instance education conventional education is uh, is not uh, European uh, competence Uh, I would like to see some of the coordination of some of the issues much, much better than it is done now I think, for instance, uh, the importance that Erasmus has had. Erasmus is a program that, without any doubt, has been a great success. And uh, Erasmus is, uh, in a way, a small, a small parcel of what could be done. You can imagine that uh, in the many other areas of, of complex. I think this is when I said that a treaty concept, without uh, fundamental changes in the treaty, a lot of things can be done a lot of more things can be done in a sense that uh, will contribute to the integration or the creation of European citizenship in a way I think uh, I was uh, addressing to, 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 to those questions you have said I think a lot has to be done in that, in that direction and I hope very much uh, that uh, member states with the crisis also will take advantage of it for instance on the, uh, education research research. I mean, we are probably uh, research and technology. We could do much more. We spent, I don't know how many, I would say years, not months, more than 12, on trying to create an institute. Remember the Institute of Research uh, that at the end which, uh, not, is not a physical one, which is uh, networking, etc. Uh, but I think these ideas are ideas that uh, has to be have to be moved on, uh, at a much more rapid uh, rapid pace because we have the possibility of doing it and uh, we have uh, sometimes if you allow me to say it in a, from my previous incarnations with too much entropy and too little energy now the the suigeneri uh uh, is the uh, European Union is Yes, it is very three You will not find a constitutional animal like the European Union uh, in many places today but as time goes by it will be less I I can tell you for instance that the ASEAN countries are creating uh, a structure of relationship which is not very far from the European Union In fact, uh, they spent, I think we were 30 people, spent almost two years with us, many with me, uh, trying to understand well the European Union, trying to see where were the advantages, what were the mistakes that we had made time. And today the jump, the quantum jump on ASEAN countries, for instance, in integration is really spectacular. Unfortunately, still in Latin America, which was the, the first follower in Mercosur, the problems of the last uh, years have made more difficult the, the process of integration. But it's also an embryo of something that uh, is not very different. It's different, but not very, very different. The, the, the idea is the same that it was the, the, the European Union. So we are a complicated. Uh, uh, constitutional uh, animal, if I may say, but uh, in that sense we are sui generis, yes. And you cannot deal with the European Union as you deal with in a state. We are not the United States of Europe. We are not that. And sometimes people do think that we are the United States of Europe, but we are not. We are something which is different uh, constitutionally from that uh, structure. Now, uh, the third question was about uh, the Balkans, and uh, very particular about the parts of the Balkans. Well, imagine the Balkans. uh, You know, many of the people which are here, uh, politically active, uh, they were. uh, They started to be engaged when they started the Balkan crisis. I lived the Balkan crisis from the very beginning. I was in 1995 in the Minister of Foreign Affairs of my country, the night of the Krajines, when the Krajines fell. And I remember very well, it was the August, well, uh, it was the beginning of the end of the war. And uh, I was very much engaged in Kosovo. Now, uh, let me say two things. Um, The decision of giving independence to Kosovo, formally, that was not long ago um, it, it was a decision taken by by, by the European Union, but um, the only thing the only decision that the European Union took were not the recognition the recognition is not the European Union does not recognize countries. the member states of the European Union do recognize countries let's get very clear that what the European Union did is to put Two decisions and two elements. One, it was uh, the the police mission on the ground, and that was done at 27. All the issues that were really related to the development of Kosovo, the well being of the Kosovars, the police, the uh, economic aid. That was done at 27, so it was unity in the European Union to help Kosovo to develop. Regardless of the relationship that some countries had with Kosovo, accepting them in Kosovo and others, that didn't accept the the, the situation. But everybody, that's something very... I worked very hard on that, it was very successful. All the issues that could do or could be done at 27, was done at 27 without any failure the recognition which is something that belongs to the countries, we have differences, and we have still differences now now you ask me how, how I evaluate the, 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 the evolution of uh, these years I, I, I would have expected more politically from the Kosovo I think this, I mean, when when you have uh, the the, the situation new as the one that uh, was uh, given to Kosovo uh, two years ago, I think that the the government should have been a government much more dynamic, much more in unity, and with a program much more aggressive uh, to do things more rapidly. I think they have been uh, lost. in entropy and and internal battles, etc., which I would have preferred not to see. I don't know if I answer. I think I answered.
0: Okay, we've got so many people. Um, That gentleman right at the back has been trying to catch my eye since the beginning, and I'm feeling I'm I'm, um, discriminating against that side. So I need to find somebody, maybe the person with the diamond sweater there. <laughs> yeah, you. So, well, we'll start with you, and then the lady down here. If, so. if as you say, Mr. Solana, uh, the um, EU is a global par. Uh, Why was it bypassed at Copenhagen and wasn't even in the room with President Obama, the Chinese, the Indians, and even the South Africans? And if it's a global power, why does a senior uh, member of the European Commission say that the reason the Russians, the Russians fear, yes, the enlargement of NATO, but they don't fear the the enlargement of the EU because they see the EU, and I quote, as a bit of a shambles and not speaking with one voice. Okay the person down here actually I I forgot to remind you to say who you are but anyway Um, you can this time.
3: uh, My name is Hamza and I am a journalist from Turkey Turkey. Um, Yes. um, I first want to share a very short experience or feeling uh, from Turkey Um, although the Kurdish problem or conflict is uh, still going on in Turkey, especially in 1990s it was quite hard or tough um, and when Kurds uh, faced violence from Turkish army or Turkish, Turkey, they were always saying one day European Union will come judge or at least criticize Turkey's uh, violence. Uh, but as, uh, unfortunately we haven't seen a significant role of uh, European Union uh, in this process, in the, the solution process of Kurdish problem. Uh, my question is: How European Union can contribute to this uh, solution in, uh, for Kurdish problem in Turkey? Thank you.
0: Okay. Now, n- then, I had this uh, lady. Well, I'll take both of you: the, 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 per- the blue shirt and then the lady in the front. <laughs>
5: okay. Mohamed Yallo, London Metropolitan University. Um, Dr. Solana, I would like to know what is the end product of European integration? What do you hope to achieve ultimately? Is it a federal state or a postmodern state or what else? My second question is in relation to the EU military power. I think believing that Europe, Europe, the new generation in Europe believes in peace is very good. But peace has no meaning without the existence of war or the possibility of war. It's like waking up in the morning, seeing sunrise, and destroying all your electric bulbs, believing there will not be sunset. So, don't you think that Europe has to build a strong military, just to be, you know, capable of preventing Europe should war arise at some point down the line? Those are my two questions. Thank you.
0: Um, and then this lady down
3: here. Hi, my name is Nicole Dupal. I'm a PhD student from Sciences Po Paris and a visiting scholar at LSE. My question is about: I would like to know what took the EU to create a strategic partnership with Brazil in 2007, especially considering that among the emerging countries, this was the uh, the last one to have this type of agreement. And in practice, what does it mean? What? in practice, what does it mean to be a strategic partner? No. Thank you.
0: Okay, and I'll take one, I'm, I'm letting them have a few more because there's so many people. I take this lady down here who's been waiting. Professor Lala,
2: yes, thank you. Uh, I came from China and I'm a police officer in China. Uh, since you mentioned that, that um, the world is become globalization, so we should adopt a solution also to should be uh, global. Uh, so my question is the Europol. In order to combat the transnational crime and illegal, illegal immigration and also terrorism, so how uh, how will Europol strengthen its power uh, to adopt any further practical solution? Thank you. Practical solution to
1: terrorism and... Le-
0: Okay, I'll let you answer all those. Okay. <laughs> now,
1: let's see. The, the The first one from the high up there, back on the on the global actor in Copenhagen. Now, I think that uh, let's recognise that to a certain extent, uh, the European Union played a fundamental role in creating the dynamics of climate change uh, awareness. But we, we really went very far and, 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 uh, and uh, uh, stating our commitments, etc., uh, etc., et etc. Cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have to repeat that. Now, in Copenhagen, what it happened, you know what it happened? It, it's, it was uh, the difficulty of, of, of getting an agreement uh, at the level at least uh, at which the European Union wanted. very far from there, very, very far from there. But in Copenhagen, there was a moment that probably nobody remembers or nobody has read about it, in which uh, the European Union, through the Chancellor Merkel, was very clear and said, <laughs> we, the Europeans, are ready to do A, B, and C. A, on the limitations, B, on the health to the countries that needed help uh, to to alleviate, I mean to to, to, to do the the limitation they have to do, they need the money to do that. And third, we are happy and willing to get an agreement which is uh, binding. Now, what happened at this moment was very dramatic is that uh, one very important country, which is not the United States, said, we do not accept even to discuss that unless to allow you to put it in the document even if you want to do it unilaterally. Do you understand what I mean? They didn't accept even that unilaterally a group of countries were able to say we are ready to do this, this and this if we want to do it. because of the significance that they may have for other countries. Now, it was very dramatic all that. And um, very dramatic with the last meeting that at <coughs> the end uh, uh, agreed uh, on the three pages. And in that meeting the European Union was not there, the Americans were neither. The chair that was missing is that the President of the United States didn't have a place to sit down we had already abandoned that, uh, that, uh, that group of negotiations. Now, what are we going to do in the future from here to Mexico? Well, I cannot speak on behalf of the European Union. I probably think that we will have to do it in a, in a, I wouldn't say double track, because it's a terminology that uh, Secretary Ban Ki-moon yesterday denied. Because, uh, you know, there was a little tension yesterday in New York, talking about double tracks. Now we have to believe on the track which is the United Nations but we have to find terminology to have a, a negotiation that can be on different geometries. They'll put it more, uh, more mildly under the same umbrella but I think that only one umbrella will not, uh, it will not be possible to do it uh, with the experience we have today. One umbrella at the end but uh, different geometries in the, in the process of negotiation. Um, I don't think that uh, uh, the Russian uh, the, they were more happy when, uh, I mean, of course they were less happy with the enlargement of NATO, and in particular the second enlargement. See, so the first enlargement, I think we negotiated in such a manner that uh, without happiness, that it was accepted. Hmm? Ah but sorry. I don't think uh, Ukraine and Georgia are going to be part of NATO in the foreseeable future. Uh, if you want to be part of NATO, you have to solve it. NATO has to help you to solve your problems, but uh, you have to ho- ho- to help to solve the problems of uh, of uh, of NATO. Now Ukraine, let's see how is the evolution of Ukraine after the elections. That's one of the big frustrations I have being one of the signatories of the first uh, the first uh, change of the elections when Janukovych won the first elections and uh, the, the the sentiment of the OEC that uh, the elections were not free and fair, and we had to change that, remember that that was the orange revolution, etc, 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 it has been a real failure in governments of, uh, of Ukraine, Ukraine has been uh, a complicated country to 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 to, to follow and um, to help because he doesn't want to be helped or he doesn't allow much to be helped energy problems, etc, etc, etc let's see what happens after the presidential elections of this uh, last period of time in Georgia the same, you cannot uh, get uh, Georgia in the uh, in, the, in, the, in NATO, at this point in time, in the situation of Georgia today, with Georgia, we have uh, we work with them, etc. But uh, I don't think that NATO is considering the possibility of entering Georgia or Ukraine. And in the debate on the strategic council, uh, the, the strategic council of NATO, that is not being discussed, at least uh, to take decisions in the in the future. In the future, the. In the, pre- in the future months, when the, it will come the definition of the strategic co- uh, uh, concept. Now, uh, what is the end game of the European Union? I, I don't know. I think the European Union is, uh, for me, for me, is a beautiful journey that uh, I cannot define today which is going to be the end station which I want to tell you is that uh, the different stations will be further apart but uh, I don't know what is going to be the end, the end of the European Union I think that that doesn't signify that we have to be all the time moving I think we have now a new treaty and as I said before we have to take the most, the outmost of a treaty that produces or allows to produce a lot of good and positive, <laughs> and positive things now that has to be our, our task. Now, on more military strength, the treaty allows, not only allows, uh, suggests and recommends to integrate more in, uh, on, the military, on the military because of uh, savings and because of efficiency and uh, gives uh, uh, strength in principle to the uh, defense agency, which I chaired in seven years, but now after the treaty it has many more possibilities. So the tendency towards integration of the military is there as a possibility. Remember, well if you don't remember this is a technicality, but uh, you have in the treaty two types of uh, uh, different geometries. That The geometries that you can, a group of countries can go further it has to be open to anybody who wants to go and you have another type of different geometry in which is not enough to, will, uh, to, to have the will to participate you have to comply with a certain rules and in the case of the defense the rules will be which have not been defined yet but it will be related to the capacity you have to deploy forces to the amount of money you are ready to spend in your budget etc etc still they have not been finalized but that is what is the spirit of the of the treaty, and I expect that the treaty will enter into force uh, not only as has done already through the letter, but also through the spirit in which it was uh, it was negotiated. With Brazil, we had uh, a, a special relationship. I don't see if the person that uh, with Brazil we have a special relationship that was done in the summit uh, of 1990s. I think it was, in the month of July, in a summit that took place in Lisbon. Now, we have two countries of Latin America with the same level of uh, the, uh, strategic partnership. One was Mexico, because Mexico, remember, did not participate or didn't belong to any of the groupings of countries in the, in the Latin America structure with the Central American countries, Mexico was a little bit in the middle, the Andean countries, and then the Mercosur. Brazil, since Mercosur did not finish, has not finished the, uh, the free trade agreement, Brazil asked uh, to, to, to to get uh, a special treatment, and that was decided, uh, as I said, 2008, I think it was, in the month of June. So we have uh, mm, fundamentally more open the trade, and we have summits with Brazil that we don't have with the other countries, but with the group of countries that belong to either Mercosur, the DNs of the uh, Central Central American countries. Mexico, as I said, is another exception. Mexico and Brazil are the exceptions with whom we have a deeper relationship. Uh, the, on, on the on the terrorism, uh, of course. Uh, there are two levels of cooperation: the cooperation among the, the countries uh, of the European Union among themselves, and uh, that f- functions very well, very well. And uh, the European Union as such, with third countries now: countries being the United States, with Russia, with China, being the, all the countries or well, countries in the Middle East. And by the way, I was surprised that nobody has put any question about the Middle East um so mm, we have uh, these two 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 types of cooperation very very intense. today the cooperation in the world in general among the big uh, players have uh, being in the European Union or with the European Union third uh, countries is very profound very very profound but you cannot imagine uh, imagine very profound with a little bit more than what you can imagine. It's really mm, I would not say perfect because it's not perfect. But
0: really, very, very, very profound. We actually only have five <coughs> minutes left. And in fact, I was fully expecting somebody to ask a question about the Middle East. And since they haven't. Oh, there's the Kurds. We'll, we'll come. I'm
1: sorry I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, now, you ask a very difficult question and uh, as you know, because it's very very sensitive uh, to talk about that uh, for somebody in the position that I used to have but uh, A, we Turkey I would like very much uh, that uh, the commitment that we have to take Turkey become a reality let me tell you a little story it was the, uh, the month of December 1999 it was past midnight. We were, the European Council was in Helsinki. And uh, we finalized that night, at midnight, the offer to Turkey to be candidate. And I had to fly the, that night to, to see the president of Turkey. And I returned the following morning with a yes, they accepted under the conditions, uh, some of the conditions you know. That the uh, type of thing they had to do on the on the internal internal life uh, of Turkey, political, etc., recognition of uh, minorities, and that was in the in the document I presented, and that was accepted, and that's why we opened the negotiations with them in 1999, from, from the, we accepted them as candidates. Now on the Kurds, I can talk now as a citizen, okay? And I want to tell you, without making headlines, I don't want to, um, that we are, and I am working on that issue in a very intense manner. And I think progress is taking place. Um, difficulty as I see, we're going to have a difficulty until we have the results in the, the real results in Iraq these two things are going to be very linked as you know very well, what happens in Iraq what happens with Kirkuk, what happens with, the, with uh, the Kurds apart, the stability of Iraq will have a tremendous influence on how the other thing the other thing that you have pointed out, it will be resolved. If you know the reasons, I don't think you have to be in this You understand very much, what t- I'm telling you. But I'm telling you that uh, you are talking to somebody who has done a lot as a citizen on that
0: issue and will continue to be doing. Well, I think, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. Which is a shame because I was just about to ask you about your role in negotiating with Iran and about the EU as the largest donor to the Middle East. But as you're here at the LSE, we will have to have another public event to discuss that. So thank you very much very much. much. Thank
1: you very much. i <laughs>